Hello and welcome to our third COVID-19 captive special episode. If you have missed the previous two, then you can scroll back in our catalogue to find two really enlightening instalments on potential claims and dispute activity and one on the asset management implications of the coronavirus pandemic. But in this global captive podcast edition, we are going to talk about ensuring board meetings and good governance can take place in an appropriate manner to satisfy the economic substance requirements of the local captive regulator while also adhering to the rules of the captive owner's own tax authority if they are in a different country. The latter part on the tax considerations is going to be addressed in the second half of this episode by Jenny Coletta, London-based tax partner at Friend of the Podcast for 2020 EY. But first, we are going to hear from three other friends of the podcast on the situation, specifically in three major jurisdictions with regards to the local board requirement rules and how they might be offering little more flexibility considering the travel restrictions that are in place around the world. First, we will hear from Sandy Bigglestone, Director of Captive Insurance at the State of Vermont's Department of Financial Regulation. Then Colin Robinson, the 2020 Chair of the Insurance Managers Association of Cayman, known as IMAC. And third up will be Kate Story, a Guernsey-based partner at global law firm Walkers. When Vermont first established uh, the Special Insurer Act, we recognized the importance of a captive insurance company actually doing their business in Vermont. It's part of the the general good to the, the state of Vermont to conduct business here as much as possible. Many captive insurance company owners do that by hiring one of our talented captive management firms. They all have offices here with full staff to do the normal day-to-day operations. But another piece of doing business here is having an annual board meeting physically in Vermont. Some of our companies since they've been here have brought full boards, partial boards. So all have worked really hard to accommodate that doing business in Vermont. And of course, more than ever, good governance is important to doing business anywhere. So that's been sort of the traditional way of how captive insurance companies handle their governance here in Vermont. So with the, you know, with the new normal, business everywhere has quickly adapted to conference calls and video calls to keep up with all of the things that companies need to do and stay engaged in contact with each other. So, you know, as geographic areas have turned into a state of lockdown, I guess you could say. Um, We recognize the need to be as flexible as we can be at the Vermont DFR. You know, we are fully capable of continuing our business, regulating captive insurance companies in the virtual world. So I think we all needed to agree that the companies we regulate can do the same. So it, it really seemed to present an immediate concern that we needed to address. Um, You know, there are travel restrictions that were quickly put in place for lots of companies. So we really, our point of view is that we still have to interact and do our jobs just in a different way. So 
despite the difficulty in conducting in-person meetings, the continued good governance is still key. Um, so th- our communication to the industry um, hopefully will address some of the concerns and put out sort of the new temporary expectation of how to continue with all of that. And so wh- one of those one of those communications was with regarding directly board meetings taking place virtually where, where they need to? Yeah. You know, we have companies, group captives that have board members from all over the country. And so if they can come together in a virtual way, whether video uh, conferencing or conference call, it's just a different way of conducting a board meeting, but it can be just as effective. Fantastic. In terms of the uh, DFR, Sandy, you mentioned earlier that obviously you're all able to continue your jobs regulating uh, captive insurance companies from from home and remotely. How, how is that working out? I presume you've got the systems in place to, to handle that. Yeah. Um, other than having a different view out my window, <laughs> um, really everything's the same. We've been conducting a ton of new business meetings that were quickly rescheduled to be a conference call rather than an in-person meeting with the cancellation of m- many conferences. As you know, um, I think the biggest adjustment is um, missing that face-to-face connection with people. I think we, we've we learned the, the value of in-person engagement. And so we're kind of feeling that. But at the same time, we're just as efficient. And I think keeping on top of everything we need to do, and we have all the systems in place to do that. So there actually isn't a requirement for meetings to be held in the Cayman Islands annually. In the company's law, uh, many, many years ago, that used to be a requirement that was actually taken out. Uh, So interestingly, uh, there's always a requirement to have some sort of face-to-face meeting with SEMA. It's not an official requirement, but it's kind of a a general requirement. But again, those things can happen whether it's on island at our Cayman Captive Forum, or maybe it's at Ashram or RIMS where we usually have uh, SEMA attending those. But there actually isn't a requirement to have an annual meeting in the Cayman Islands. Now, interestingly enough, we have an economic substance regime which kind of flips that. So there's no requirement in the company's law, but there actually is some, some sort of notion, and I think a lot of jurisdictions are having this, that meetings, more meetings should be held uh, for the important decisions of companies in the Cayman Islands and whatever jurisdiction that you're working with that has equivalent uh, economic substance laws. Absolutely. And we've heard as well in this episode from uh, the state of Vermont, and we will be hearing from uh, Jenny Coletta, who's an EY tax partner, on that substance issue as well, because often there, the the pressure might not be coming from the home domicile. It might be coming from the country that the, the parent is headquartered. That might be where there's some more consideration to take uh, take under. So uh, bearing, bearing all that in mind, have uh, what have SEMA said? Has there been any noises from SEMA, the, the insurance regulator, on what may need to change or, or happen in in these uh, times of such restricted travel? So during these times, regardless of whether it's meeting being held in the Cayman Islands or whether it's being held in Cancun, Toronto, it's difficult for people to travel, as you know. Um, Whether it's uh, just bans on actually going to some of those jurisdictions or whether it's actually bans within your own office for non-essential travel. What's going to happen probably in the interim, there's going to be a lot more proxy meeting held. So the directors would actually issue a proxy to most likely your insurance manager who would hold that meeting on behalf of the directors within the island. What CM have said is in general, the practice is something that they would like to not have every meeting being held by proxy because it's very important that the directors actually physically meet and make important decisions for the company. But what they want to have happen is that during this time of struggle and during this time of kind of just uh, a little bit of uncertainty, 
if you have to use that proxy meeting as kind of the way to do some of that important business, whether it's approving the audit, uh, approving new lines of business, whatever the case may be, note that in your minutes. So, you know, it's it, it's possible to say something because of COVID-19 or, or something like that. Really kind of note, this is the reason why this meeting is being held. And that's kind of one of the ways that they said could work uh, to kind of get around some of those requirements to actually have face-to-face meetings. So in Guernsey, the requirements stem from the EU tax code of conduct groups requirements on economic substance, which require that if you are a Guernsey tax resident company, that you need to do two things. One, be directed and managed in Guernsey, and also to carry out your core income generating activities or SEGA in Guernsey. So looking at the the first requirement, directed and managed in Guernsey, that means that you have to hold a majority of your board meetings in Guernsey and hold them with an adequate frequency for the decision making that the captive needs to make throughout the year. So typically you'd have at least two board meetings in Guernsey throughout the year, but that it ranges up to quarterly or more, depending on the decision making needed by that captive company. And at the meetings that are held in Guernsey, there has to be a quorum, at least a quorum of directors physically present somewhere in Guernsey. They can be dialing in from somewhere in Guernsey. They don't need to be physically present at the meeting. Now, most captive companies would set their quorum at something like two directors and most Guernsey captives would have two Guernsey resident directors so typically they're going to be able to fulfill that quorum requirement notwithstanding these uh, COVID-19 restrictions but then the, then we come on to the second element which is you have to demonstrate that you're carrying out your core income generating activities on island and so when the board's considering those SEGA and, and the decision making at the meeting involves the SEGA, then there's a requirement that a majority of directors are physically present in Guernsey. So particularly for those SEGA meetings, those those meetings considering decision making on SEGA, then companies might not be able to have a majority of directors physically present in Guernsey, given the travel restrictions. That's interesting. And obviously, that there's obviously two different parts of this, isn't there, Kate? There's one which is the local GFSC or Guernsey Financial Services Commission, what they're saying and what they want from their regulated entities. And there's obviously, if they are uh, tax resident in Guernsey, then, but owned by a UK parent, for example, then HMRC are going to have views on w- what goes on from their side. And we're going to be talking to Jenny Coletta from EY about that HMRC perspective. But what advice or guidance? are the GFSC giving in Guernsey regarding planned captive board meetings, considering that there are obviously severe travel restrictions or almost impossible to to be travelling to Guernsey um, from the UK at this time? Yeah, so GFSC obviously regulates good corporate governance of Guernsey captives, uh, but they are not responsible for administering these EU economic substance requirements because those are tax-driven. So in Guernsey, it's our revenue service which administers and regulates compliance with those economic substance requirements. So our local industry body, the Guernsey International Business Association, has had discussions with the Guernsey Revenue Service. 
and has published some guidance on how to address perhaps not being able to comply in full with this directed and managed requirement and the requirement to carry out your core income generating activities and decision making on Ireland. And they, from discussions with the Revenue Service, Skiba has said that it's understood that the Revenue Service will take a pragmatic approach to compliance with these economic substance requirements in light of COVID-19. The company should maintain and retain records as to what their policy has been and continues to be during these um, travel restrictions. So it's about maintaining appropriate records and documenting why it's not been possible to hold board meetings in the same way as normal. Also, it's important to otherwise comply with the normal operating rules of the company. Normal protocols for board meetings should be observed as far as possible. But it, it is um, recognised that companies may want to do board meetings by uh, virtual means. So it's recognised that that's may well going to have, have to happen for a lot of companies. And it's understood that the revenue service will take a pragmatic approach to that. So then in terms of conversations that you might already be having, have you been having discussions with clients or, or captive boards even that, that you sit on about, about their approach to this? Yeah, so it, it's come up really early on, actually. Um, I, I sit on um, a number of boards and have been giving advice to clients on the subject. And an early decision has been taken to, to hold board meetings by video conference or te- telephone conference. And that is what companies are are doing now the communication now across the world is by the likes of zoom or blue jeans um, and, and that is happening another thing that the guidance issued by Giba does say however is that um whilst it's recognized that virtual meetings may become the norm companies should also consider measures like appointing Guernsey resident alternate directors or appointing extra Guernsey directors for the period of restriction and comply with the requirements that way. So there is a consideration to be made as to whether that's possible in the circumstances um, to appoint these alternate directors or, or supplemental Guernsey directors to be able to show that you've got the quorum or, or majority of directors physically present in Guernsey. So that was really useful to hear from local experts based in three of the major captive jurisdictions, Vermont, Cayman and Guernsey. Of course, while much of that advice may be applicable or relevant to other captive domiciles, there will of course be variations and differences in approaches and regulations domicile to domicile. But it does give us an idea of how local authorities are and will be responding. Well, the other essential part of this discussion is, of course, the tax element. For those organisations that own an offshore or international based captive, they will have to be considering how their own local tax authority will view changes in governance and operations and how it might impact the tax residency or permanent establishment status of the captive. Thankfully, we have Jenny Coletta, tax partner at EY based in London, to talk us through what insureds and their captives should be mindful of. Jenny, one of the concerns coming out of the 
coronavirus pandemic for captives is their access to board meetings and particularly not being able to travel to their domicile to participate where required. We know already that some captive regulators are showing flexibility with regards to permitting uh, virtual board meetings. But will there be other considerations with regards to the captive parents' local tax authorities and substance rules? Yeah, so this is a hot topic that's um, that we're being asked fairly regularly at the moment, um, particularly as we're right in the middle of board meeting season. So there have been suggestions from some governments such as Australia and Ireland um, that they understand these are exceptional circumstances and therefore from the perspective of uh, the, the captive owner locations where business travellers may be travelling out to overseas territories for board meetings, they understand that that can't happen, may take a slightly more relaxed approach to things like tax residence or permanent establishment risk of that offshore entity. Um, From a UK perspective, there is guidance in the HMRC manual that's existed for a number of years, which says if there's a kind of one-off situation where um, a board can't convene then this may be viewed as an exception. However, in the current environment, that's probably not strong enough because we don't know how long this scenario will carry on for. Um, so there have been uh, letters from various industries to HMRC and HM Treasury asking for their perspective on this. Initially, there was some pushback, but the noises coming out of HMRC and and Treasury at the moment seem to suggest that they would look to accommodate this situation in guidance or some other form of assurance for taxpayers. I presume, Jenny, and we touched on this uh, before Christmas uh, when when we got together for an episode, a a still key to this always will be documenting what decisions boards are taking and why they're taking them and how they're taking them. Is that still extremely important that there is a a paper trail about all of this? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're recommending to clients that they keep the company secretarial function and group tax informed where they can't travel to board meetings and that there are um, protocols in place that minute and document that at the outset of the meeting. And in some cases, if the situation does go on for a long time and if we don't get any clarification or guidance from HMRC, it may be necessary for the responsibilities of the travelling directors to actually be delegated to any local directors um, to ensure that they are making the decisions locally. But as I say, we're hopeful that we can get some guidance from HMRC and HM Treasury, which might mean that that, that step isn't necessary. That's really interesting, Jenny, regarding kind of local directors and, and non-local directors. And obviously, there's, there's an important difference there with regards to travel restrictions. One suggestion I've heard from a captive owner, a UK captive owner with uh, a captive in Guernsey, was uh, a piece of advice they were given was for the captive board's local director directors to continue with their with the board meeting locally without the non-local directors and there to be a separate uh, I think it was an update to shareholders call would then take place afterwards to update those non-local directors after the decisions have been made have you heard about that advice being given before what's your view on on that approach yeah, so that's certainly a contingency that we would ordinarily recommend um, I think 
based on previous experiences where we've seen restrictions in travel, so things like the volcanic ash cloud. But those tended to just last for sort of one quarter of a board meeting season rather than potentially longer and, and multiple meetings. But certainly having a contingency plan in place, which restricts the ability of the non-resident directors to make any decisions is is a protocol that some groups have in place. Um, and that, that really does then mitigate um, some of the risk around tax residents or permanent establishment bringing the um, profits of the overseas entity into the UK tax net. Great. And then just lastly, Jenny, I think the one thing I'm really keen to ram home in, in this in this episode and this look at this issue is there's, and maybe there's more than this, but there's two primary considerations for where I'm looking at it. There's the local insurance regulator of the captive entity and what they're saying they're going to permit and how flexible they're going to be. And then of course, there's the separate consideration. If you are not tax domiciled at home, there is a separate tax consideration regarding your local tax authority. That's right, isn't it? They're two separate issues and, and to be looking into and considering. Yeah, absolutely. So the local captive domicile regulator uh, may take the position in view of the economic substance laws that, of course, were implemented last year. They may take a position on whether um, board meetings can happen virtually, and, and we've certainly seen that with some of the captive domicile locations already. But the other consideration is the tax authority's position in the domicile of the captive owner or uh, the operating entity um, locations which may be paying premiums to the captive, those uh, jurisdictions will need to be comfortable that the substance of the captive is carried out in the captive location. Otherwise, they can implement these arguments around tax residents and permanent establishment to draw income into their territories. However, as I say, we're hopeful that those locations will start issuing guidance around this being a very exceptional circumstance and therefore looking to relax some of those traditional arguments. So hopefully some of the issues and questions surrounding captive boards, economic substance and tax implications of the coronavirus pandemic have been made a little clearer in the past 20 minutes or so. I do expect to release a couple more of these special one-off captive COVID-19 episodes in the next couple of weeks, and we should have one addressing employee benefits implications by the end of this week as well. If you are not already, then please do make sure you are subscribed to the Global Captive Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and do drop us a follow on LinkedIn. And if you find the content valuable, I really would appreciate a share as well to spread the word further. See you next time, captives. Mm-hmm.